Hello, and welcome back to Uncultured 20s. My name is Julia. And my name is Leanne. And this podcast is a journey of us culturally educating ourselves in what is considered classic in pop culture. Yeah, media where people say, oh my god, you've never seen that, or you have to listen to that. Films, music videos, albums, consumable content. We review it and why we think it's made its way into the canon. Or why we think it shouldn't be. We're always open to suggestions, so keep up with us at Uncultured20s on Instagram and TikTok. We're also on Letterboxd and Twitter at Uncultured Twenties. This season, we're covering all things TIFF. Today, we're taking a look at our first book, which has been adapted into a Netflix series this year and premiered at TIFF, All the Light We Cannot See. Uncultured Twenties. I can't believe we're covering our first book. This is proof that we are, in fact, literate. Yes. This was a lot more involved than just watching a movie. So It's definitely been a long time coming. And okay, I'm admitting I'm not fully done the book. Okay. Oh, I, I know. I know. I'm, You're going to get I'm some like, spoilers. <laughs> it's okay. I Okay. I have this really bad habit where when I read a book, I read the last page first. Okay. I... I do that, but I read the last sentence only. Okay. Because I'm like, the last page is too much. So I just do the last sentence. Why is that a thing? Like, why do we... I don't know. I'm just like, I just need to know what I'm getting into. Like, I don't know. For some people, it ruins the experience because they want to be surprised. But for me, like, I just get so much anxiety not knowing what's going to oh happen God. next that I, I have to, like, have some idea. And it doesn't ruin the experience for me because then I'm like, oh, I wonder how they get there. Like, I guess. Yeah. You know, most of the time you don't know who the characters are or something. So it's just something that I've always done like since I was a kid I just I always like to read the last page first yeah I feel like with with the last sentence I like can't stop myself like it's too and it's also too like too much of a ritual at this point for me that every time I get a book I'm like well now I just I just have to read the last sentence like I like that though just the last sentence like I just I can't stop myself from looking up like the rest of the page oh yeah 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 well I don't know I don't like I don't want to spoil it for myself, I guess. And I, I know it's not like full spoilers, but I just know that I'm going to be thinking about it while like while I'm reading the book and be like, oh, my God. Remember on the last page when like, you know, they walked into the sunset or whatever? Like, I don't know. So the last sentence is just a little snippet for me. It's just enough to keep me satisfied, I guess. I think I have maybe 100 ish pages left. So I'm like about three quarters of the way through the book. Um, like I, I'm, I'm a good chunk in. I just like, I've been having a hard time, um, reading. (laughs) I can read. I just, my, my attention span and okay. With this book, this book is actually like almost, it's a perfect example of the struggle I've had with reading over the past few years. Okay. 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 (laughs) I, I've always been a big reader, like. When I was a kid, I would literally, because I had so much anxiety, like I hated talking to strangers. I would go everywhere with a book. I would have my hand on the back of my mom, like I would hold on to her. And when we were walking places, I would just read and just follow her. Like I wouldn't even look where I was going. I would just use her as like a guide and just read. And I remember I went to baseball games with my dad and I would just read the whole game and then people would be like, oh, what are you reading? Like, blah, blah. I'd be like, a book. Like, <laughs> <laughs> I just love to read. I mean, I still love to read, but I was like, that was my, I loved it. You know how, you know those kids. I mean, I, I, I'm sure you I was one also of them that too. kid. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> or like every, every holiday you got like a chapter's gift card and 
or a book or something um mm-hmm. and like I was always at the library renting out books um so they were really like my safe space and I really love to read but you know how it gets when you're like <laughs> When it becomes less socially acceptable to read young adult novels that are fun and (laughs) adventurous and now you have to read adult books that are about serious topics and they're like they're not as much as an escape as it makes you like analyze your own life and the world and then you're just like oh like I don't enjoy reading about like serious topics. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so, and also, once we started university, I mean, we're already reading so much that I'm like, I can't. <laughs> I'm like, I can't read anymore, yeah. <laughs> I remember being like, why is it taking me an hour to read four pages? I know. I like, I used to go through, like, 200 pages, like, in an hour. Like, I'm like, I used to be crazy. Now I'm like, yeah. Well, that was when the language was, like, simple. You could understand it. I remember True. just reading over a sentence, like, a million times. I'm like, I have no idea what this means. Like, academic <laughs> language is honestly such a barrier. I agree, yeah. I'm like, it makes it so much... Uh, I feel like a lot of times they're just trying to like, make themselves sm- sound smart. I agree. So, basically, the story with this book, my grandma gets me a book almost, like, every single year for... Christmas or my birthday or whatever. My grandma got me this book maybe 2016, 2017, a few years after it was published when there was like a lot of hype around it. It was like a New York Times bestseller. It sold like over 15 million copies. Like it got the Pulitzer Prize for fiction, like all that good stuff. So it was really like, it was like one of those books that I think when you walk into Indigo, they just have like a million copies there and (laughs) I'm sure a bunch of people got them as a holiday gift because they're like, oh, this is like the best book of the year, you know? Yep. So I remember trying to read it and just, I remember it was one of those books where you bring it on the subway and you carry it with you for like a yeah. year and you never, ever read it. Yeah. <laughs> like I would try and I would try and I just never, ever got past the first like few pages. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I also think like, it was just not at a time where I was wanting to read about something like this. You know, mm-hmm. it wasn't when I was interested. I mean, I'm still not really interested in war, but yeah. <laughs> um, I didn't. I also don't even think I really knew the premise. You know, now looking at it, I like I went to school for radio broadcasting. So obviously this is something that I would now be more interested in. Mm-hmm. Um, we'll explain why in the synopsis. <laughs> and I, I remember trying to read it so many times because I'm like, my grandma got me this book. I really want to get into it. And I just... I just never did. Yep. Yeah. Um, have you, like, heard about this book before we started reading it, or did you just kind of go into a blind? Uh, I had not heard about this book, so this was uh, brand new for me. Leanne got me my copy from the thrift store. Um, but my when I started reading it, my mom was like, oh, my God, that I loved that book. It was such an amazing book. And I'm like, oh, you never said anything. Like, I never heard about it. Um but yeah, I totally get that, like, bringing it on the subway and, like, never actually reading it. Like, I've done that with so many books. Um, and yeah, I when I started reading it, too, it's something that, like, I feel like reading nowadays is, like, I have to, like, force myself to get past the beginning of it to actually get into a book. And then I do enjoy it, of course, once I'm, like, in it. But just actually sitting down and being like, okay, I'm going to dedicate this time to reading and I have to get into a new book and I have to learn the new characters and invest myself. It is like a whole, a whole chore sometimes. 
And I'm also the type of person who likes to do multiple things at once. So like I just remember in university too, I'm like, I wish I could listen to music and read at the same time. <laughs> and that's something that's too distracting for you? Yeah, because I'm if I'm listening to like the lyrics of the music, but then also trying to like absorb what's happening, I, I can't. I don't know when I when I'm reading I have to be like fully invested and like concentrated on it otherwise I just find myself going back and being like I didn't absorb any of that and going back to the top yeah like just reading the same yeah and being like okay I still didn't absorb it go back and read again so and now I like to crochet or knit while I do stuff so I'm like I, I need to like look at what I'm doing maybe when I'm like an advanced crocheter and I don't need to watch my hands while they're doing stuff maybe I'll be able to like just prop up my book and read but it it is like a you have to dedicate like for me at least you have to dedicate yourself to it completely and I'm just like that's like not how I function anymore but yeah when I was a kid I used to do I used to love reading and like I used to we used to have um we we had a bedtime but we could extend our bedtime by half an hour if we were reading for that half an hour period so I was like well obviously I'm gonna stay up later and get to read because I love to read but it's, I, know. Yeah, those are I like times. I remember you know I would even like hold like a flashlight and read under the covers because I yeah. was like I want Me to too. finish reading yeah and I I also used to be able to like read in the car and so we would go on like, you know, road trips to go see my grandparents or, you know, wherever. And I would read so much in the car. Mm-hmm. Now, like, I get car sick. I, yeah, I was always, uh, I was always motion sick. I was jealous of like my brother would be reading and I'd be like, I wish I could read. Or like I would try to read a couple chapters and then I'd be like, okay, I should take a break for like half an hour and then I'll come back. And you're like trying to read like at nighttime because your dad yells at you not to turn on the light and you're trying to read. Every time you go under like a yes street light, yes. and I'm like, and then she went to the, and then she walked by the, and I'm just like, <laughs> you're like going at each street light. I like that this is a universal. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, please, can I just turn on the light for a second so I can finish this chapter? And he's like, absolutely not. Now I'm driving the car and I'm like, it's fine. Like I'm like, yeah. you could turn the light on. I don't. I I'll survive. Don't I don't know what their thought process was behind that. <laughs> yeah i mean getting older i guess this is part of being uncultured 20s is just learning what your body can no longer do what your brain can no longer do yeah um i yeah i also need to like i like to do multiple things at the same time mm-hmm. so it's hard for me to just sit down and just read like it just sits still mm-hmm. um i tried getting into audiobooks because you know i like listening to podcasts I mean, we make a podcast, so. Mm, yep. But audiobooks are just. <sighs> the voices of the people reading them. It takes me just, out. I can't do it. Me too. Yeah. That's the exact Because in my thing. head, I'm like, I read it in my head how I would imagine it would be. And so when it's just this one, like recently um, I was on a road trip and uh, my cousin was listening to an audiobook and it was Harry Potter. So I've already read it. But it was just this, like, old British guy saying it. And I was, like, kind of half listening. And I'm, like, I just can't. Like, he's being, like, Hermione. He's, like, Hermione said blah, blah, blah. And I'm, like, I just can't get into it. Like, I don't know. Something about it is just I, yeah, too much I'm for me. Okay, I listened to the Twilight audiobook last year. Oh, my God. But it just, I, like, obviously it's a different kind of production. But I wish they had different voice actors for different characters because yeah. 
this actress, like, first of all, she sounds like she's 45, <laughs> like, not 17-year-old Bella Swan. Yeah. And then she's talking like this for <laughs> Edward. No. And, like, this for... Je- I'm like, stop. Like, this is taking me out. Yeah. I can't do it. The only kind of audiobook that I enjoy listening to is, like, an autobiography. I was going to say... Where it's the author who actually wrote the book talking about their own life. Yeah. That's the only kind of audiobook that I enjoy. Yeah. Anyways, so that is the... That is the prelude to All the Light We Cannot See. I have not finished it. <laughs> First, we're going to talk about the book, which Julia has completed. Yes, I did. <laughs> Speedy reader. <laughs> and then we are going to talk about the adaptation. Yes. So this is the TIFF element. Yeah, they turned it in. Well, initially, we both thought it was a movie. I don't know. Everybody who was going into it all thought it was a movie. Like, I went with Jenna, previous guest of the podcast. Nice. And uh, we both expected it to be a film. And then, lo and behold, it's a TV show. So I don't know if there was a miscommunication on yeah. our part. Not a big deal. I just was like, oh, I thought I was going to be watching the whole thing, not a Netflix episode. But, you know, I'm okay with it because I believe it's a limited series. So it's not like, you know, one of those shows where they start it based on the book and then they're just going to have to extend it and, like, yeah. make up stuff past the written material, which I always find... It- the quality obviously yeah downgrades they screened the first two episodes and it's directed by sean levy have to mention this because he has directed some of my favorite films Mm -hmm. like night at the museum and cheaper by the dozen (laughs) and this year he was actually the recipient of the norman jewison award for career achievement at the tiff tribute awards so it was kind of his year for that canadian year it's interesting to watch his work in a different light because obviously his previous films are like very family friendly comedy films and this is a much more serious endeavor so i'm excited to get started we'll talk about the book first and then we'll get into the series let's get into it Synopsis. Spoilers ahead. all the light we cannot see follows the stories of marie Laure leblanc This is going to be interesting with my French and German, (laughs) just warning y'all in advance. (laughs) She is a young girl living in Paris, and the other character is Warner Fenning? Fenning? so, yep. (laughs) Who lives in an orphanage in Germany. The novel alternates between their perspectives as well as different years in their lives, so it takes place over the general course of World War II. Before the war, Marie-Laure lives with her father, who is a locksmith at the Museum of Natural History in Paris. Due to cataracts, she becomes blind at a young age. And so her father ends up building her a miniature model of the town where they live. Um, And basically he tells her, like, learn the model with your hands and then you'll be able to navigate the streets by yourself. As rumors and threat of German occupation make their way to France, Marie-Laure's father, along with some other members of the museum, are entrusted with a diamond or replicas of a diamond known as the Sea of Flames. None of the members who are given these diamonds or replicas know who has the real diamond. And essentially the myth of the diamond is that it was created by a goddess who gifted it to her lover, who's the god of the sea. Um, And then he cursed it once it was stolen by a prince. And the curse goes that whoever carries the diamond will be safe from all danger, but everything or but everyone around them and everyone they love will suffer. Marie-Laure and her father end up fleeing Paris. 
the scene where they flee Paris, they talk about how she walked so long, her feet were bleeding, like they were, mm-hmm. they were turned away from the train. It sounded so brutal. Oh my gosh. Yeah. That scene really like stuck with me in the book. For sure. In Germany, Werner lives with his sister Jutta. Jutta. <laughs> <laughs> In an orphanage in a mining town, he finds a broken radio and repairs it, and he and his sister use it to listen to a French professor broadcast about science. It's very clear that Werner is gifted in science and technology, uh, but once he's 15, he will be sent to work in the coal mines along with all the other orphans. And this is also the coal mine where their father was killed. But he kind of becomes known as this like radio repairman so he's brought to repair a nazi official's radio and then is offered a place at this nazi school called schulpforta and to get in he has to go through this series of like physical and intellectual tests obviously very eugenic standards to get into the school Marie Laura and her father discover that the man they are supposed to deliver the diamond to has fled to London, so they end up continuing on to the town of Saint Malo, where Marie Laura's recluse great uncle Etienne and his housekeeper Madame Manek live. This ends up becoming their new home. They live with them, and Marie Laura's father builds her a model of this town as well, so she can do the same thing, learn the streets, and learn how to get around. As German occupation moves in, all radios are confiscated. But Etienne keeps one secretly upstairs in the attic of his, like, six-story house. So they're, like, they probably won't find it up in the six-story Yeah, their house. And honestly, the whole town sounds so beautiful. Mm -hmm. It's, like, this walled seaside city. Like, and the house, you know, the housekeeper has a floor. He has a floor that's, like, a secret attic. Like, it just sounds, like... I mean, obviously, it's in awful circumstances, but it sounds like a really lovely place yeah, yeah. to be. <laughs> Marie Laure's father is asked kind of suspiciously to return to the museum uh, and instead is arrested on the way and ends up being sent to a labor camp in Germany. Meanwhile, Werner heads to the school, Schultborda, where he befriends Frederick, a very gentle boy who is obsessed with birds. He um, is really well off and Werner actually like visits him at his home and... He's like, wow, this is how you're living. Okay. Werner is quickly singled out for his success in mathematics and science and is set to work on a specific project for finding the location of radio broadcasts. He's also given treats and sort of secret. Get some perks. Get some perks because he's working on this uh, advanced project. Meanwhile, Frederick is singled out for his weakness, and one night he's beaten so badly that he is sent home with permanent brain damage. That was such a sad moment in the book. And Warner's just like, he like he just can't do anything about it, but like, could he have done something about it? And, you know, he just loves birds, and now he like doesn't even recognize like anything. Yeah, there's a lot of scenes where, you know, you just feel the helplessness. Like, this is a 15-year-old boy, and, like, mm-hmm. they're being told to torture, like, mm-hmm. beat each other up. In Saint-Malo, Madame Menek and a group of other women in town start to organize to fight against the Nazis by passing along information to benefit the Allies. Etienne originally refuses when he is asked to help, but then Madame dies because of pneumonia, and so Etienne and Marie-Laure take up the mantle and continue where she left off. Marie-Laure walks to the bakery every day where she receives a loaf of bread and inside it is baked a slip of paper that contains Allied intelligence 
And then ATN will broadcast that on his secret radio up in the attic. And unfortunately, one day, ATN is out past curfew doing one of one of the missions he was assigned. I believe it was to help triangulate where some like uh, weapons are. Um, and then he is arrested. And so blind Marie Laura is left alone in the house and she doesn't know what happened to him. I think this is about where I have read up to. Okay. So uh, this is as much of a surprise as is to y'all who are listening. Um, but I do remember, I love, like, the Madame Manex character was so lovely. Mm-hmm. Really, really good character. Yeah, she was like a stand-in mother figure, I feel like, for Marie Laure. Yeah, and she was, like, really, you know, she, like, organizes this whole group of old ladies who are secretly fighting against the Nazis. They're, like, doing secret little things just to, like, ruin their day and, like, ultimately mm-hmm. a little rebellion. And I loved that it was just, like, all the little yeah. madams, like, getting together in the kitchen and, like, baking things and, like, fighting against uh, the Nazis. It was awesome. Mm-hmm. Back at the school, Werner notices that all the professors and everybody's getting sent out and they're being replaced with, like, all these veterans. And, like, you know, you can kind of see hints that they're starting to lose. And they're still getting all these broadcasts saying, like, oh, we're doing great in Russia. Like, we're, we're like, basically all this propaganda lying to them, saying mm-hmm. that they're doing well when, in fact, you know, reading it from our perspective, we know that things are starting to look bad for them. And he's only 16 at this point. But they say, oh, we made a mistake with your paperwork. Yeah. It turns out you're actually 18. Go fight. <laughs> and... That's a lie, but he's sent to the army and he joins a team who locates anti-German radio broadcasts and kills the broadcasters using the technology he helped create. I did read this part, you know, where they like killed the girl who was like on the swing. Oh, it was awful. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Eventually, they are called to locate a broadcast in the town of St. Malo. However, once they arrive, Werner recognizes the broadcaster as the French professor he and his sister used to listen to back in the orphanage. It turns out to be Etienne's deceased brother or Marie Laure's grandfather, I believe. Etienne and Marie Laure are playing the like old tapes like on repeat. So because of this fond memory, Werner lies to his team and instead goes by himself to find the source. And on the way, he does happen to see Marie Laure going to and from the bakery. As the bombing begins in St. Malo, Warner becomes trapped under the rubble inside the basement of a hotel. The Hotel hotel of Bees, it was called, because it just had bees, like bee decorations everywhere. Um, Marie-Laure hides in the attic of her house. And then throughout this book, there's been um, this character, Von Rumpel, who is trying to track down the Sea of Flames, the real Sea of Flames, and he ends up going through each person who has the replica and finally discovers that it was um, Marie Laure's dad who had the real diamond. And so finally at this moment, you know, when everything's being bombed, like amidst all the chaos, he finds her house. And so she hears him enter the house downstairs. And the reason that he's been searching for the Sea of Flames is because he's, I guess he's just trusting and believing in the myth or the the legend i guess that whoever holds the diamond is safe and he's been suffering from a terminal illness and he's basically near the end of his life and he's like if i get this diamond then it'll save me i guess it's like his final like hope is that this will save him marie laura's dad sent her a letter from the from the concentration camp i believe and sort of in the letter it hinted that 
she needed to look like inside the house, yeah. inside the house twice. Inside the house, inside the house. And so then that's when we find that the Sea of Flames was hidden inside the little miniature model of Etienne's house that he had built for her. And so after days of hiding in the attic, reaching the end of what little food and water she has, Marie Lore begins to broadcast herself reading uh, 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea, which was a gift originally from her father that she had lost. And it was like a giant braille version of the book. And then Etienne had gifted her one on her birthday. And, you know, it's kind of just like she's feeling like this is the end anyways. I'm just going to start broadcasting. And, you know, if he hears me downstairs, then he hears me downstairs. Meanwhile, in the hotel basement, Werner manages to fix his radio and he hears Marie Lore broadcasting. She finally gives up her hiding and broadcasts loud music over the radio. And she's like, well, he's here alerting Werner that she is in danger. He risks his life by blasting a hole to get out of the hotel and is able to escape to Etienne's house. He kills Von Rumpel and saves Marie Lore and then helps her escape the city. She gives him the model with the sea of flames inside and then they part ways. Marie Lore is eventually reunited with Etienne and they return to Paris while Werner is taken prisoner by the allies. In a state of delirium, he wanders into a minefield, triggers an explosion, and is killed. Dun dun dun! Did you know that before I reading? I didn't know this that. Summary? I didn't know that. <laughs> Big spoiler. <laughs> yeah, he's sort of like after after they so they in one of their as we mentioned in one of their like radio broadcast trips they end up killing like an innocent young girl and he's sort of haunted by her, um, like he like keeps seeing her ghost or whatever, um, and so that's sort of the start of like he's like kind of breaking down a little bit. And so after everything, um, and after like, yeah, they break out of the, ho- they bust out of the hotel with like a grenade and all this stuff. Um, he started, he, he's like in a hospital, like he's, he could have been fine too, which is why it's so devastating. Like he was captured, but he's being treated and they're like, you can defect. So like, he wouldn't have been like tried or anything. Um, but he's just so like overcome by everything that he just gets up out of his bed and wanders into a minefield. Um, and they're like they're yelling like don't go like there's mines there and he's just like so out of it that yeah he ends up dying so years later Werner's sister Jetta is given his belongings um and it includes the model house of Etienne's house um she ends up finding the connection to Marie Lore and meets with her and gives the model house back to her and so when Marie Lore opens it inside she finds the key to a gate to this ocean grotto that she used to visit and where she ended up giving Werner the model and the diamond and then we learn that because the key is inside there instead of the diamond that Werner ended up returning the diamond to the ocean. And so the curse, whatever, is over. Hopefully it will never we, affect yeah. anybody again. <laughs> the god of the sea gets his diamond back. Nobody needs to be cursed. And then that's sort of where it ends. Damn, we just did it. Our first book on the podcast. Yes, indeed. <laughs> oh, that was, yeah. It was very, like, a very, like, serious book to read. Um, mm-hmm, but it's good sure. to, like, get back into reading. Like, you know, the beginning of the year, I was really reading a lot. And I'm, like, I'm very excited to finish this book. Not because I want it to be over. Mm-hmm. Just excited to, like, <laughs> I finally finished this book that I've been meaning to read for yeah. years. Yeah. I'll be honest. Like, after reading this book, I kind of went back to doing what I used to do when I was little where I'd be like okay I'm gonna read before I go to bed so like I don't feel like I have other things to do like I'm just going to bed instead I'm just gonna read for like a half hour or whatever 
Um, and I'm I'm still doing it. And I'm like, this is great. Like, I feel like I'm a kid again. And I'm just like, have my bedtime. But I get to like sneak past my bedtime a little bit because I can read. And I regret it sometimes in the morning because then I'm exhausted and like now I have a job and stuff. So like it's not like when I was a kid and I could just do whatever. Um, but yeah, I have like I have been reading since then. I finished finally this giant book that I've been reading for like two years. Um, I'm halfway through my next book and I'm like, wow, doing a doing a book for the podcast made me start reading again. So I'm like, this is great. Well, you know, I actually I went and took out another book from the library to inspire me to finish this one. Oh, nice. <laughs> um, it's Jeanette McCurdy's like Jeanette McCurdy's oh, book. Yeah. Um, I'm glad my That's mom actually, died. Yeah, that is actually an audiobook. I was listening to it in like parts on TikTok and I'm like, that sounds like an audiobook that I would actually listen to. Yeah. So there were parts of this book that I actually found made it easier for me to get into it. So one of them was the short chapters. And so when I would be reading before bed, I would be like, oh, okay, I can read like five more chapters and then that'll be good. So I thought it was like, I actually thought it kept me interested also because they were flipping back and forth. Like every other chapter was Werner or Marie. And so I would be like, get to the end of this chapter and I'd be like, what's going to happen next to Marie? And then I'd be like, oh, well, I have to read Werner's part first and then I'll get to Marie so I thought that was a really creative way of writing that made me stay interested in the book and then also the use of jumping around in time like when you first start off with that that first chapter and it's just like she receives a flyer but she can't read it because she's blind and they're about to bomb the town and you're like oh my god like what's gonna happen and so I thought that was also creative the way they were flipping back and forth between August of 1944 when the bombing was happening and then just sort of giving you all the context leading up to that um I think we talked about that in like Pulp Fiction (laughs) too the movie how that was like sort of a creative way and keeps you engaged in the story as well because you're like oh my gosh how did we get to this point and maybe it's the same as like almost like reading the end of <laughs> I the book first. It's like same idea. So I also thought that was a that was like a interesting way of um, storytelling that kept me engaged mm-hmm. in the book. Otherwise, not that I wouldn't have been otherwise. But I I'm glad to like have your perspective on that because I find those things actually make it harder for me personally. Okay. <laughs> um. So it's good to know that like you know like people like it like that because for me I guess where you're like oh I have to read the next one to get there I'm like oh they got they switched it I'm just gonna wait and read this tomorrow because like it's like a new story and I don't want to get into it and then I just have a sometimes I have a hard time keeping track of like when things are happening so when they're jumping around I really have a hard time doing Mm -hmm. that so I think that might have been a little bit of a barrier for me because, like, I prefer longer chapters where, like, I get into it and, like, I really, like, get immersed. Whereas when it breaks up so much, I'm like, oh, okay, like, it's just harder for me to get immersed. But I do think it's, like, really creative. I think Mm -hmm. you're right. It does, starting with, like, such a intriguing scene really does, like, start the reader off like, oh, my gosh, like, this is, like, what what is this? What's happening? Um, It really draws you in. So I think it's an interesting way of storytelling. Um, I think it was easier for me in the film, actually, or sorry, the the series, the film, yes. the, <laughs> the adaptation, because they d- also did some time jumps, but because okay. visually you can see, oh, they're older, they're younger, um, like right. different actors, you can see where they are. It helped me be like, oh, okay, this is like when they're younger, mm. this is before. The other thing that I guess I 
liked was how they how the author integrated the story of the sea of flames and sort of runs parallel to their story as well because they introduce it in one of the earlier chapters of like they're like inside of the box inside of a box inside of a box like in the museum there might be a diamond and here's the whole story and the curse and you know you find um marie lore is like is it because of this curse like she has a moment where she's like is it because of this curse that like my father was arrested atn was arrested madame died like all these things are happening and it's like you know as like the outside viewer it's like oh no it was just like it's just war like it's like it's just like the chaos of war and everything there but it was like sort of like a not like a it, it's not like a relief but it's sort of like gives you this like fantastical sort of image going through that helps while you're just also reading about everybody is dying and like war is awful so um I thought I liked that 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 was a little mm-hmm. story that they sort of carried through there yeah and now I can't remember if this was the book or the or the show but like I think they kind of insinuate that Marie Laura is blind because her dad was working with the sea of flames and her mother mm-hmm. died because of the sea of flames so it, it sort of so, sort of alludes to not just the war but even before it happened mm-hmm. because her dad is the one who built the safe for the sea of flames i i also really liked that storyline i kind of wish there was a little bit more on it but i mm-hmm. think at first i didn't like the um the like storyline with the guy who's looking for it i was like okay there's yeah. like, too much going on but like yeah. as we got into it and you could like feel his desperation and like he there's a scene where he goes to their old apartment in paris and you and he sees like the apartment as they left it like in a hurry before they ran for the war and i really liked seeing him see their apartment in a different perspective and um he's like going through chemo and just tracking these people down one by one i really liked that storyline i thought that was really interesting and i i always love a little bit of fantasy a little bit of yeah yeah mystery in my book <laughs> a little something yeah. In there yeah <laughs> yeah so i think with the series i i really I, i'm definitely gonna finish it i believe there's only like four episodes so it's like a nice mm. com- it's like an hour an episode so it's like a nice compact series mm-hmm. that's how i like it you can tell it's a netflix series you can tell they put a ton of money into it okay the filming <laughs> the quality it's like next mm. level it looks really really beautiful so I, I i don't know maybe i was kind of surprised because i was like you know I, obviously it won a prize and everything but i was like this isn't a book that i imagine like a ton of people are going to be like waiting for the adaptation yeah. <laughs> like, i feel like the people who like this kind of book are people who prefer reading over films or shows so i thought that was interesting but you know who knows like when i went to the premiere with jenna uh, there are so many like older people there going to see it, so I thought that was really cute. I was like, I would have loved to take my grandma to yeah. the premiere and show it to her, but um, I I'm gonna actually maybe try to watch it with her mm-hmm. next time I see her. That would be fun, but I, yeah, I don't know how I felt okay. about it. I, like, it, yeah, I think I really helped, you know, having because at the point I had read some of the book, and I think it because I watched the first two, I was I, I was like, oh, I'm gonna spoil it, but it actually ended like right where I had finished reading at the time. So it was sort of like a perfect timing situation. Um, I don't know. Okay. Mark Ruffalo is in it. Yes. He plays the dad. Mm-hmm. 
I love Mark Ruffalo, but I did not like him. (laughs) Okay. Okay. He just like, he has this like fake French accent that just sounds awful. And also Jenna and I both talked about this and we agreed that it was weird that the whole thing was in English. Okay. Because I, sorry to interrupt. I was thinking, because I watched the, I've watched the trailers. They released one like back before and then they released one like three weeks ago. And so in the first one, there's no talking. It's all just like dramatic music, whatever, and like the scenes. But then just she has a British accent. Yes. I was like, why? Like, I'm like, it doesn't and, make and he sense. has like a German accent. They just speak in like a vague accent. Yeah. But they speak but in I'm English. Like, I'm like, I understand like sometimes, and I feel like a lot of films do this. A lot of like British films do this where they're like making the film like about another country like it's in another country or something where like the actor is just speaking in a british accent and i'm like this is so random like i'm like why (laughs) like you couldn't like even if you're speaking in english like could you do like a little something to like make me believe a little more like i'm like she's not i'm trying to believe that this is like a little blind french girl yeah and it's like she's speaking in a british accent but films do this all the time and i'm like why (laughs) it's so weird like is the barrier of subtitles really that big? Like, to me, it's not. Yeah. I, I like, especially, okay, you know, I can forgive Marie Laura and her dad speaking English because they're, I would say they're more the main character. Yeah. At least in the series. But it does not make sense to have all these Nazis speaking English. It just doesn't. <laughs> like, I, yeah. it, it, it takes me out of it. I'm like, why? Like, it just doesn't, yeah, it, it really, really irked me. I thought they should have done it in the different languages. Also, just to show the difference between the two sides of the story, like the French versus the Germans. And also, Warner grows up in, like, a French-speaking orphanage, right? Like, or his, like, his, the the head lady of the orphanage speaks French. So there's, like, a whole storyline of, not a storyline, but, like, it's definitely a part of the story where he also speaks French. And, like, it just really took me out of the whole historical context of the book just listening to them speak in english and they all like had different accents like like mark ruffalo had a different accent than marie well it's funny that mark ruffalo's doing a french accent but then the other actresses do is like british accent well i don't even know if his was like he's like i i can't even (laughs) i can't even imitate it but i'm like first of all i'm like okay this is mark ruffalo like this is not some french locksmith yeah and he's trying too hard to be like really whimsical right like, he, he tries to bring a lot of whimsy to the character. It's it's giving, like, Timothy Chalamet in Wonka. Right. Like, just okay. so forced and so, like, yeah. kind of just creepy. Okay. And I don't think of Mark Ruffalo as a creepy guy. <laughs> it starts off with the same scene. And the beginning was beautiful. It was so beautiful where Marie Laura is, like, in the attic and there's papers going everywhere and she's, like, just grabbing them and she doesn't know what they say, but, like, you, the audience, can see it. And the actress when she comes down and she's speaking into the broadcast like i really the main actress her performance is really good and i think i believe she's actually one of the tiff like rising stars this year she's like uh very much like up and coming she's beautiful her acting was really good and like that beginning scene was really good and there are some like good scenes with werner um when he's in the hotel of bees but yeah like I think the first the first two episodes were very much setting everything up for the rest of the story. Right. So we didn't really get into like Madame Manac or really like living in Saint Malo. It was more just their background story, 
getting there. The, the theme was really good. It was like the... It was like going in the model of the house like that. Oh, cool. That yeah. Marie Laura's dad had built. So it was very cool, like setting where it's like it's like an eye spy. Netflix sort of always does like crazy yeah. theme intros, I feel yeah, like. Definitely like very Netflix brand theme intro. Yeah. But I mean, I'm definitely gonna be watching it, especially with it coming out so soon. It's coming out November second, I believe. Mm-hmm. So yep. That's very soon. I guess I'll be watching it and I'm telling myself, you better be done the book by the time it's coming out. <laughs> you can do it. You're almost Thank there. You. Um, yeah. How are you, are you going to be watching it, do you think? I think I will, yeah. Just because I'm, I feel like I have to at this point. I don't know. Whenever like a series adaptation comes of a book, I'm always like, well, I have to watch it now at least so I can compare. Yeah. Like in my brain, I'm like, what's going to be better? But also, I'm just, like, curious to watch it, I think. So do you think you would recommend this book to anybody else? Like, how do you see it in the scale, in, like, the grand scheme of, like, books you have to read? I would recommend it. Um, I thought it was... I, I really liked the book. I thought it was a really good book. Um, I guess it just depends on sort of what your preference is. Because, like, I'm not, like... I'm not always into, like, history-based books, I guess. Um, so it's, it was not like, like, I am glad I read it. I don't know if I would read it again, but I think it was a really good book. I do recommend it. I think that it was, uh, there was a lot that was offered in it. So yeah, I'd recommend it. Would you? I think I'm this, I think I'm the same way where I'm like, you know, it was a good book and I think it's like, I think the series would be really good to watch with like a family. Mm -hmm. In the sense that, like, you know how everybody's watching, like, Queen's Gambit right. or something like that? Like, it's that style of thing where everybody can really get into it and it's intriguing on and it hits sort of different notes for everyone. Mm. Um, however, with the current climate right now, I'm not sure we are going to be watching war and bombings for fun. Yeah. So that is also something to consider, like, you know, starting this book in like August versus finishing it now it's like before I'm like okay like I don't mind reading about this but now I'm like okay there's so much of this happening now currently it's not um not the escape of a book that you're looking for a little too too real well I guess that's it from us we only have one episode left of this season and we're going to be wrapping up everything Tiff we hope you've been enjoying this series as much as we have connect with us on Letterboxd at Uncultured20s20s to see all the films we've covered or you can go to our Spotify and see our playlists at Uncultured20s spelled out T-W-E-N-T-I-E-S we're also on Instagram so follow us at Uncultured20s T-W-E-N-T-I-E-S if you went to TIFF let us know what you thought of the festival what films did you love and which did you maybe not like as much we are uncultured 20s and we'll see you on the airwaves just like just like marie lore (laughs) (laughs) bye i will not be reading 20,000 leagues under the sea though sorry jules burn uncultured 20s